This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. This is Nabil Mahmood, your host at Nomad Futurist from Kona, Hawaii. This is Philip Coleman, your co-host from Brooklyn, New York. And this is Dominique Pichard from uh, Los Angeles, California. Dominique, thank you very much for joining us at Nomad Futurist. So let's start a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you're at in your career, and how you got there. All right. Well, I am an author. I wrote primarily in the science fiction arena. And I am a futurist looking ahead at trends and what is uh, coming on the horizon for all of us on the planet. Background is uh, in film. Uh, So I was a filmmaker and producer for quite a few years. I have a Jewish doctor degree. I've worked also as a creative director in advertising and marketing. Very interesting background. Uh, Would uh, you tell us a little bit about some of the the books that you published or something that our readers should actually look into and read as, as they start learning a little bit more about you? Well, one of the things that I've done is after writing, you know, a lot of commercials, I wanted to really write content. And so I moved towards more filmmaking with screenwriting and produced seven seven independent films. But in the process, I realized that I really loved the long form of writing a book. And also the idea of actually being able to create a whole world on the pages. And so I transferred my skills from screenwriting to authoring a book. And I focused on science fiction because that's the future for me. That's where I pretty much live uh, in terms of what's coming to the forefront for all of us in trends and, and patterns, mostly patterns, taking a look at what's happening right now globally, digitally, and so on. And so I created a saga series called New Dawn and published the first prequel of the series, which is called New Dawn Rumors. Right. I mean, you know, what's interesting. I think you'd probably be the only person to fit into the category, certainly that we've ever had on the show, but trying to think of, you know, author, filmmaker, lawyer, and futurist. I mean, those those things tend not, you know, I guess author and filmmaker, you know, kind of go together because, you know, yeah. storytelling. Uh, the lawyer thing is a totally separate bucket. And then the futurist element is is incredibly unique. Uh, is there, was there something in your background that drew you to, to technology and, and, and I guess that, you know, uh, inspired you to focus on science fiction as what you're writing? Well, when I was growing up, I read a lot of sci-fi and I loved it because it allowed me to really uh, spread out in terms of what we're used to going further in, in the boundaries that we have in our own minds and create uh, this this uh, wonderful focus as to what is going to happen, what if this were to happen, or what if this were to happen. And so for me, uh, as I read more and more authors in the sci-fi genre, I found a home, and I found the ability to just relate to tomorrow. Um, and that's shaped probably the way I view the world today and how I got from you know, the, the Jewish doctor, the law, 
which I didn't really want to practice, but who, which has really created an enormous background for me in terms of experience and knowledge. And uh, going to the filmmaking, you soon realize that with the transformation of technology and everything that is going on with the global digital landscape today, the traditional movie making distribution system, if you want, would no longer be available. And I saw that about, oh, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, which gave me access to looking at new technology to develop whatever the content, whatever content I would create and try to reach an audience differently. And that's where it came about. Where do you think we're headed? I mean, particularly with COVID-19 and, and, and being stuck it's uh, it's definitely uh, the speed things up for us in terms of the digital changes that we are uh, seeing happening today. Whereas, you know, so far the, the infrastructure that we have has been changing slowly globally to things that we don't even see yet because they're not all implemented. But the infrastructure that we used to live in 10, 15, 20 years ago is no longer applicable today. And with COVID, uh, we have seen a drastic transformation very, very quickly, shortly, where you've seen a lot of jobs being lost and they won't come back. You've seen uh, the changes in online becoming the mode of communication and networking globally. Uh, you see a lot more usage of data infrastructure, as you see as well, uh, the um, social ability to reach out to people and basically connect with them via that technology. So that's us. This is the new, this is the new normal. This is what we're going to be faced with for the next 15 years. And even, uh, you know, tomorrow, what we're going to see happen is changes in transportation, whereby we don't, we no longer need to go to work with our cars. We can work from home. We can work from a hotel room. We can work in a taxi because uh, very soon we're no longer going to be driving ourselves. This is happening today. And one of the things you, you asked me to debug the tech. I think the main thing for me is that we thought tomorrow was going to be tomorrow, but really tomorrow is today because of the changes that are being implemented now. And it's so fast and so deep that I don't think we're ready for it. And that's the problem. You know, how do you get ready for transformation of this scope and magnitude? We have had a previous conversation as well. Uh, we are at that chasm where things have actually just started to accelerate because of the adoption rate and the fact that it's easily accessible, available. And the generations that are in play right now have a much broader understanding of how technology and platforms work and how easy it's actually making everyone's life. Do you believe that that's actually simplified the adoption rate and the fact that now working from home, working from anywhere, autonomous becoming muscle memory uh, will define and accelerate the, the whole process as we move into 2025, 2095? Definitely. I think that, um, well, there are two segments of the population that are touched by this and reacting differently to it. 
Uh, one is the young generation, which is really adapting very quickly and very easily to what we see online today. They're used to that. They grew up in it. They had a computer at their fingertips at age six or seven or eight. And so today they know how to navigate this landscape. Uh, the older population uh, the population of the baby boomers, in effect, are going to be is going to be touched much more by that than anyone else because either they adapt, or I hate to say it, they're going to be bypassed. And if they are bypassed, unfortunately, a lot of the jobs that were there even five months ago are no longer going to be there for them in the near future. So. There is a shift in skill sets that needs to take place. Whether or not some people can adapt to that is the question. You know, what's amazing is um, had this happened, had like COVID-19 and, and this type of pandemic happened, say, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you know, I think we would be facing like a much steeper uphill climb than we find ourselves today because, you know, while this clearly accelerated everyone's digital transformation and usage of things like telemedicine and, and you know, things like this, Zoom, uh, Google Hangouts, all that in terms of, you know, how we communicate with each other, the notion that the underlying infrastructure is actually there, it's in place, and it's just about, you know, people, you know, adopting it and, and getting comfortable with it is, is fairly unique, don't you think? Yes, yes. And definitely the acceleration had we not been uh, uh, in 2020 and had, been, had we been 10, 15 years ago, we would have found ourselves so much more isolated in view of the pandemic. And by the same token, I mean, would, would there have been, you know, as drastic as, as a fall off? I mean, right now you see jobs, you just assume that jobs, you know, whether it be in hospitality or in these other industries that, you know, have, have a difficult time coping in times of a pandemic, um, you know, people are just saying hey, those jobs may not come back anymore. Certainly in large cities like New York, when you have restaurant closures uh, that have been closed, you know, for three or four months, there's just no scenario where, you know, many of those restaurants are going to reopen. Um, so you think that there's going to be, you know, a, a permanence to, to a lot of those job losses where you have people that are going to have to rethink um, their, you know, the industry that they're in and their careers. Um, and if we were 20 years ago, you know, things were just moving at a slower pace. So yes, we would be more isolated, but it probably, you know, we wouldn't probably be, you know, changing at, at as rapid a pace as we are today, based on the fact that, you know, you can see, you can almost see the future because the infrastructure is there. Yeah, I mean, com companies have the ability to adapt and they are doing that. 50% uh, of the restaurants will no longer reopen. I mean, they've already come up with those numbers and it's huge, which means that 50% of the population working in restaurants are going to fundamentally lose their jobs and they won't find them back. Uh, we have here in the US alone, over 4 million unemployed people. Uh, if all the jobs that were there five months ago, four months ago, three months ago, no longer are available in two months from now, that's probably a huge impact on the nation's economy, as well as for people, you know, who need to find jobs so that they can go ahead and survive and, and pay their bills and, and live and take care of their families. So that transition 
is going to be really, really important. Now, how do we transition from non-technology jobs to technology jobs that will have new positions available for people as they reskill is really going to be the question. You know, how do we find that help for everybody so that they can say, okay, I'll step into a, the digital world, even if that was not my background, and I will learn so I can get the new jobs out there. So, yeah, that's a bit, that's a huge problem. And, I, and it's not just a problem for the U.S. It's a problem for the entire world because that is what is happening everywhere. Europe is fundamentally completely transitioning to a lot of jobs being lost. Uh, India is completely down economic-wise. I mean, everything has just plummeted. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with China, with what's going on right now with their new plebonic plague. I, I, you know, it's, it's like, where does it stop? Where does it stop? You know, um, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. There, there's sometimes we have people on the show and we're like, if you were king for a day or, you know, you were, you're the president, how would you uh, suggest that we go about, you know, dealing with some of these concerns? We don't have to do that with you. You are a creator of worlds. You are a writer, a filmmaker. You, if you had, if this was a, a blank canvas and you were going to write the story of how you make the transition from bubonic, you know, plague, plague attacks mankind, where uh, the world as we know it is no longer here. Uh, you're the storyteller. How does that story end? Like in a perfect world that you create, um, what happens? A perfect world that I would create, AI would already be running our infrastructure. AI would provide people who do not have the digital knowledge and information and skills with the support that they need so they can transition into the new world. Uh, AI would be telling our government, hey, don't hold on those paychecks that are not going out because you are over, you have the overcrowded system so that you can help people. Um, uh, in a perfect world, we would not have a healthcare problem because we would have implant that would monitor our health and avoid any kind of issues uh, that could um, eliminate life, you know. So, so that's the perfect world. Now we're not there, obviously. Uh, but you know, implants are already here today. You see, uh, in London, for instance, they've been able to use vision implant to help blind people see in black and white some of the forms and shapes so that they can move around their environment better. Um, it's the beginning, but it's here. And uh, science and technology are doing some great things, but at the, the same time, science and technology are not perfect. Neither are we. So we have to keep an eye on what we're doing um, for the future. We have to make some choices in terms of how do you use AI? How do you use robotic? How do you use nanotechnology? How do you use uh, biogenetics? in the future so that we don't lose ourselves. For the first time in the history of mankind, we have the ability to change ourselves. Up until now, we've changed our environment to suit us better. But now we're dealing with the machines and to keep up with the machines, we're gonna have to be better. And in order to be better, to go faster, to have more memory processing capabilities, to do the things that we may need to do, we will probably have implants. 
in your saga of the future, do you see mankind reliant on computers, technology, robotics? Very much, very much. We become almost symbiotic with the, with the machine, yeah. At that point in time, do you have a concern as it entails to robots taking over the world? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, you know, <laughs> look, it's not so far-fetched. Not that long ago, scientists turned on 17 AI machines, and they realized after uh, some experiment that the machine began talking to themselves, excluding the human element. So they had to turn them off. Uh, this is happening today. So imagine once we, you know, really open up the floodgate to the new technology possibilities. How do we manage from a moral standpoint uh, so that we, be, we maintain our humanity? How do we manage the changes that are going to take place over the next 75, 80 years? And that's the big issue. How do we use ethical standards, values, uh, human traits and characteristics to help us navigate what's coming? And that's the big question for everybody, from scientists to geneticists to technology experts to world leaders. Yeah, so being technologist, and I'll speak for myself, robots, computers are binary. They talk ones and zeros. So the option is yes or no, there's no maybe. That basically eliminates that emotional intelligence or the human intelligence. AI taking over the world, I don't believe in it. I really don't. Okay, let me ask you a question then, because that's very interesting to me. If you don't believe that AI can take over the world, if AI manages our entire infrastructure, which it will happen because it's already doing it to a degree, you have drone flying with AI navigation. You have uh, AI computer, you know, basically starting to crunch up data so that we devi devise patterns and so on and so forth. If you have an AI network underneath our entire social infrastructure, talking about food supply, distribution, transportation, uh, climate change and managing and monitoring a climate control element under cities, smart city domes. If you have uh, Flybot, Skyhair, everything that is basically technologically oriented to make our lives better in the future, what stops it from becoming human. more human? Well, yeah, but if we have implants. See, here's the thing, the human is in control. Now, the human is in control. Human is in control. Human is the one that's actually making it good or the evil. Robots don't have a sense of judgment. Robots are programmed to do certain tasks. I, I love these conversations. Artificial intelligence is nothing other than repeating a task that we as humans don't want to do. So data mining. I agree. Okay. But, but when you say people, uh, robot taking over the world versus people managing and supervising the infrastructure of an AI network, let's put it this way, there is a big difference. I believe that the influence of AI in our lives from a leisure work standpoint and basically just doing all simple task that we're going to walk away from so that we stay mainly more creative, managing and supervising and things like that would give us 
the ability to be influenced by AI. And if you have implant managing your physiology so that your health is monitored by an AI infrastructure and a network so that it tells you, oh, you don't have enough nutrition today. You might want to drink or eat this. Uh, or, you know, you're not exercising enough, so you need to go and exercise a little bit more. Or, you know, I think that your heart rate is not doing very well. We're going to give you X in a, in, a, in a syringe, you know, thing, and it's going to make you feel better. If you right. have all those things influencing human beings, we are becoming controlled. Yes, yeah. so just to be clear, that's actually being yeah. controlled by another human via mm -hmm. robots. Yeah. A human is the one that programmed. What I was leading with that is that robotics, artificial intelligence, and that's the world that we live in, is absolutely phenomenal. And the fact of the matter is, robots will never have the level of intelligence to take over the world. There's always going to be Dr. Evil behind it that's going to leverage it to make good for him or herself to control the mankind, or somebody good that's going to be fighting for the good. We the agree that. that's out there. Okay, good. So that yeah, motion that's that. out there that robots are going to take over the world uh, is not right. It's going mm. to be a human behind all of it. I mean, I think yes. at some point you can, you can certainly foresee a scenario under which it goes beyond just programming repeatable actions and you can actually, you know, to a certain extent, program, you know, emotional um, elements. You can program inference and decision-making that, you know, is manipulatable outside of human intervention. You can certainly foresee a scenario where that's the case. Yeah, that's, that's really like predictive, whereby if and but in this scenario, make this decision. So still, or the function of programming. Look, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give two. I'm gonna give two examples. Wait, I, I just want to two examples of, of this. So you have uh, Teslas, right? You have uh, Elon Musk, and you know he's got yeah. he's, he's the biggest kind of data mining operation in history. Is you know these Teslas and how they become more intelligent. They know everything about you know your uh, how you're driving. So at, when they become autonomous, theoretically, they get smarter and smarter and smarter, and and you know do you know kind of predictive methods in order to uh, to to do that. There's a show that was on Amazon Prime, what's the name of that show, uh, called Upload. I don't know if any of you uh, are familiar, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, the, the, the sense of this upload is you're living in a future where everything is autonomous. You know, you're not driving your own car. You're in a car that's, yeah. um, you know, run by some corporation. And, yeah. right? mm -hmm. and and before you, the, the concept of the show is before you die, I don't want to plug the show, but it's actually kind of interesting topic. If you are like terminally ill or you're about to die, you can, instead of pulling the plug and allowing somebody to die, you can upload to some database yeah. and then you still exist. Um, and you know, That's there's this separation between the digital yeah. and the real world. It is a it is a brilliant concept, given you know where we are realistically today, but uh, completely manipulatable by kind of you know evildoers or 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 whatever you know evil corporations or the people that the Elon Musk's of the world that control all of these um, um, you know seemingly you know technology focused industries that can be manipulated by someone that has you know, maybe not the most, um, the greatest intentions. Whether it's the future or whether it's today, we still have the same issue. People who are not always well-meaning controlling whatever it is that they have their fingertip on. And and um, it's, it's part of why I said earlier, I think one of the, the biggest challenges we're going to have is how do we apply some ethical consideration 
to everything that is going to go on in science and technology. Think about bioengineering. Think about all the things that we can do in the name of good or in the name of bad, just with one single field. And we have so many to deal with, with the changes that are happening today. You have an entire population that thinks that Bill Gates created COVID and 5G uh, is what caused COVID and all that. So you can certainly see where this interaction between, you know, the, the, the world of technology and just, I think, people's in, inherent fear yeah. uh, of progress, you know, causes them to, to, to think crazy thoughts. Yeah. And, the, and, and this is the, you know, this is really uh, the, the big issue. Progress can be full of opportunities for us. It can also be full of drawbacks and potential pitfalls. Um, and how do we manage that? But then again, you know, I think that what is happening in the world today is really exciting in that um, from a technology and science standpoint, not from a pandemic standpoint, obviously, because, you know, we, we, no one needed this, um, the stress on our families, the loss of lives, the, the, the economic downturn, all that is, is absolutely terrible. But um, unfortunately, I think it's also something that was in a way foreseeable because of the way we live and the way the world is so interconnected. And um, unfortunately, we don't have enough barriers against illnesses like this to deal with that. Just out of curiosity, with all the data that we have and being on this talk for artificial intelligence and telemedicine, so on and so forth, and we've accumulated so much data over the years. Yeah. The human autonomy, I mean, there's so many moving factors, not like technology. I mean, technology is constantly evolving and moving so many different directions. Don't you think we should actually have had a solution of some sort for COVID-19 by now? The last vaccine that was developed took over four years, and that was the late 60s. We're in 2020, and we are nowhere close well, to identifying how to fix this problem. It's a good question, and unfortunately, I'm not I'm not um, a biologist, and I'm not uh, in medical uh, in the medical field. So we don't realize the complexities probably that are happening as the virus uh, evolves, and that's part of the issues that I think uh, they face. Whether or not we should have a virus, uh, a vaccine for this virus, is is for me, not so much the question. It's what comes before we get this vaccine. How do we manage what's happening today? And I think that we could do much better. So what would you do differently? Well, as I... What, what wouldn't you do differently? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble here. <laughs> um, um, I would probably have reacted a heck of a lot faster. <laughs> You know, but it's insight, you know, uh, in insight, we can say so many things. Um, I think that uh, prevention of reopening, for instance, some of the states, that happened way too soon. They pushed the envelope. The government wanted to reopen for business. And, and, and of course, of course, the economy is important. But if you cannot get a control over this virus, then look at what we're doing now. We're backtracking. 
and it's costing more money. It's costing more time. It's costing more jobs because of it. I mean, that's the thing. The, the idea that, you know, you look at the way European countries and, and some of the other countries in the world handled it as kind of a national problem, as opposed to this being like, I mean, you could say it was 50 individual countries, but really there were there were locales within within cities that were behaving differently than other locales based on like the feeling of, you know, the people in charge. So this notion that you are going to be able to control something nationally by having 50 or more like hundreds of disparate responses where it's like whack-a-mole, right? You, if you if you knock it down in one area, people are just traveling between locations, right? So if you have a flare-up in Texas and those people, before you are able to identify those, are now traveling all over the place and might, you know, are, are, are spreading this virus by, you know, traveling uh, interstate because we don't have walls around our states. It's it's kind of, it should be obvious. It's not really a hindsight of 2020 thing. It should be obvious that you either have a national response or you don't have a national response. And if you don't, you should expect where it's going to be, you know, one place is going to control it, the other place isn't going to control it. And, you know, the, the metrics by which we're determining success, which is, you know, number of new daily cases and deaths and hospitalizations are going to continue to go up because it's only, it's only spreading. Yeah, it is. And also, I think there is a, there is an issue of, uh, you know, that's, that's another, that, that brings another point. Um, you know, well, government can govern and provide guidelines and laws to circumvent issues like we are facing today. It is also our individual responsibilities to behave in such a way that we care for each other. We care for our neighbors, our friends, our families, um, and we don't spread this virus. Unfortunately, Something happened in the last five years where we have lost some of the moral compass that we used to have in America, that we used to have in the world, where now anything is game, anything. You know, you can get away with pretty much anything or try to. And, and that's a very sad thing to see because when you no longer have a moral compass as a society, what happens? It's the beginning of our demise. It's where we no longer live with laws, we live with chaos. It's uh, it's a total change in behavior and patterns that are basically causing part of what we're facing today with more of the same with the virus. I'll only retort with one thing where I think it's somewhere between three and a half and five years ago. I can't put my finger on what happened. <laughs> I, I got you. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> History repeats itself. Every every 300 years or so that this does happen. It's kind of like Mother Nature's way of cleansing everything out as well. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the next big thing would be what's happening in Antarctica and in, in the Arctic, you know, with with um, some of the climate change and some of the things that we're going to see. There might be uh, more virus coming our way, too, because of that. I mean, we had, uh, what, I think a couple of weeks ago, it was like it hit like 92 degrees in Siberia. And they're yeah. saying that, you know, it's the, the permafrost is uncovering, you know, they don't know what's coming out of the ground, um, yeah. you know, over there. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're beginning, you know, we're beginning to see the, the, the downfall of all of our 
20 past years action with respect to climate change. And uh, there is not much we can do about that other than saying, hey, let's do something really rather than just ignoring the issues. Now I know how the smart dinosaurs felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to, you know, it's going to impact all of us, unfortunately. So you have a very diverse background. What would you do differently if you were to start your career all over again? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, there's some things that I did early on, choices I made, that probably did not facilitate some of the journey I've had uh, from an independent standpoint as a filmmaker or as a, an author. Um, at the same time, I'm not sure that I would change my path. I may probably needed to make a, a few smarter choices. <laughs> Let's put I it believe you all do that. But it all adds I, character, right? You wouldn't be who you are today unless you made those wrong decisions. Yeah, exactly. You know, you live and learn, I guess. But um, no, it was, you know, I, I love where I am today. I wouldn't change where I am today. I would not change what I do today. Um, because uh, really, I, I do love writing and creating this wonderful world and basically looking at uh, some way to help us in the future, help the planet in the future, even though you know there are no answers, there is no right or wrong answer, there is no right or wrong path. Things are much more uh, gray than black and white in that domain because there are so many factors that are uh, involving the outcomes of what we do. But um, I would think that, uh, you know, staying as an independent for as long as I have probably was not one of the best choices. I should have, you know, I had the opportunity to do a corporate career. I decided not to because I didn't want to. But probably it would have opened up different doors and probably got me to the, um, to the outcome that I wanted faster. Let's put it this way. I would have saved some time. What suggestion or advice would you have for the younger audience? Okay. Get into a corporate career as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. I wouldn't <laughs> do that. Necessarily, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I would say that the corporate paths are now closing off for a lot of people. No, I think that if you're going to be working uh, independently as an entrepreneur, which I've done pretty much my whole life, um, I would say remain open remain open to opportunities, remain open to pivot. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they get into a groove and this is how they see it. This is what they want to do. This is, they know better. You don't, you don't. That's part of why as an entrepreneur, in order to be successful, you have to surround yourself with people who have skills you do not possess. And I think that your tribe is a really key factor to accelerating your success. So stay open. We, we had a podcast that that was released um, uh, this past week, and you know it's these it's 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 these brothers that went from you know business to business and they sold a couple of business. And one of the things they came up with that they said was a factor in their success that they had wished that they had uh, invested in earlier was um, like a corporate coach. 
um, like someone to come in to give them like the clear, unvarnished opinion where it wasn't just people that worked for them telling them what they wanted to hear, but it was somebody, you know, trying to get them to make sense of in the corporate world. I mean, people have become accustomed to like, you know, um, you know, maybe having a, a psychologist or someone to help them with their personal lives. But some, they, for some reason, you don't really think of that applying to, to your business life. And when you're on your own, like you need to, you need to be the one that, that kind of invests in surrounding yourself with those types of people, whether it's, you know, a coach that you hire or, you know, joining an entrepreneur's group so you can surround yourself at least with other entrepreneurs and exactly. it can be an incredibly lonely existence. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life um, as well. And, it, you know, it's lonely because you don't know the way it's, you know, supposed to happen. I don't know that, I don't know that there is like a one way, uh, this is all more art than it is science, but, you know, it's nice to learn from other people's experience and you, you lose some of that when you don't have, you know, a hierarchy that, that exists in, in the corporate world. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think, um, you know, that's where, you know, board of advisors come in or it, they may not be in your business, but they come from a different kind of experience and they can provide feedback as you try to make some choices and even maybe pivot because pivoting today is just as important as, you know, the vision that you had before when you started your company, things move so fast. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. You know, it's, it's important to, to have your tribe, to have people that you can relate to, ask questions to, disagree with, uh, discuss things that you may not have thought of, uh, reject ideas as well as accept some. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. Well, it's a willingness to learn from others. Yes. And you know, being open to holding someone's hand as well. I mean, I, I've had a fair amount of years in corporate America, and I, I, I would say I'm actually having a lot more fun being on the other side. Uh, not necessarily sure. It is a lot of fun. Absolutely. I'm not necessarily sure that corporate America gave me that. I'm like of the opinion that corporate America actually potentially held me back because I lost that voice in corporate America mm -hmm. culture. Yeah. I, I, I ended up being somebody else's voice. You couldn't disagree in corporate America sitting in a boardroom because there was a bigger charter that you were probably not a part of. Yeah. So that that's comes with yeah. this Again, we say the grass is green on the other side. I believe, you know, Phil, what you have done or what the brothers did to, to, to bring an outside perspective and what you're saying, Dominic, to have an advisory board or some sort of... Uh, a pack, like a wolf pack, right? That yeah, you can actually yeah. Talk a to tribe. I call it a tribe. You know, you're on tribe that can just beat you over the head when when you you know you go the, in the wrong direction. I People who care about you, who care about your vision, who care about the company that you're building, who care about the result or the success you're gonna have, and who are you know of different opinions sometimes are. You know, it's extremely important. I'll give one. I'll give one shout out to to corporate America, and that's the the fact that it's you know you can't overgeneralize it. I think that there is no question that there is a significant chunk of corporate America where you can get lost in the shuffle and it's difficult to have your own voice. But there are plenty of companies out there where people thrive because they're allowed their independent voices because the culture within that organization gives them the freedom to be themselves because there's not that fear of independence. 
Um, and those are the companies that wind up being the most successful. And those are the companies that wind up being able to pivot and innovate in ways that you can't otherwise, because it's not, you know, led by the iron fist of some, you know, CEO that is, you know, the, the only visionary and, and moves forward. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think that corporate America also has uh, transformed uh, because the culture has shifted to be more open with employees, to be more open with the assets that they have and that they bring together along the way. And I think that's that's a really good thing. I don't know that we could have said that 10, 15, 20 years ago, but in the last, well, maybe 10 years ago, um, I think we've seen that with very successful companies. Yeah, it's corporate culture. Absolutely, I mean, transformation. So we look at the current times, for instance, you go back even six months ago, a lot of corporate America used to count uh, the efficiency or measure the efficiency by the number of bums in the seat to now. Yeah. It's okay to work from home. We need you to work from home. We are in agreement with digital transformation. By the way, you guys are all a lot more productive than you were actually physical office space. So it's a mindset, it's a transition. I mean, unfortunately, events and incidents like that are, are always leading us into doing things the better way. Changing gears, I'm very interested to hear your perspective on 2098. I mean, we, we barely made it to 2020. <laughs> very interested to hear your perspective on 2098 and how do you see the future to be? Wow. Maybe, I should, maybe I should bring my, my three-year-old daughter in here since she will, she will be significantly more impacted by 2098 than I will. Um, oh, you don't know that yet. <laughs> you don't know that yet. I think uh, health and science could um, could really uh, make our lives back, back longer. Back to the implant. Back healthier. to the implant. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to lift it 200. <laughs> well, yeah, see, you're going to have a nanobot plan too, Phil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see us um, uh, living in um, in a smart city where everything is pretty much at our fingertips. Domestic bots taking care of all the things in the household that we need to have. Um, transportation pods that fly, so fly cars are part of it. Uh, airways and skyways and skycrappers that are basically uh, providing food in their own uh, environment so that the residents have access to their own local food. Um, uh, rockets for us to travel from New York to Paris in an hour. Um, let's see what else. Um, Life on Mars? <laughs> yeah, actually, I mean, it sounds, space, it sounds hotels, like a space hotels will be there. Uh, vacation travel will be in space uh, for those of us who are interested. Um, let's see what else. Um, and they might reopen. They might open before some of our regular local hotels. Are open. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, uh, let's see what else. Um, I see a change in the way we uh, we uh, feed ourselves with a lot more nutrients. For instance, in our food, um, there will be different kind of foods because climate change is going to have more tropical fruits available. For instance, um, the big the big shift is going to be in our um, work and leisures 
where we can have virtual reality kind of games for us to play with, uh, where we have everything pretty much on conference virtual screen. Um, any retails uh, locations are going to be gone. We're going to be doing that from our fingertips and basically buy from our screen, whatever we see. Oh, I like the t-shirt you have on. Where can I buy it? And boom, you know, um, we're going to have biofeedback in terms of what makes us happy, what does not. Uh, we're going to be able to integrate um, changes to our immediate environment on demand, basically, um, so that if I don't like blue in my color wall, I can change it to yellow and be happier. Uh, you know, those type of things. I don't know. There's so much, so much. Um, that sounds like a holiday to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were a retirement for that matter. <laughs> um, you're, you're a, uh, obviously a fan of, of sci-fi literature, uh, going back to your, to your, to your early days, which, uh, which, which brought you here. Is there something that you've read that you read back in the olden days? Uh, you know, I can't even, uh, I don't, I don't know sci-fi authors that much that, that was, you know, kind of accurately depicted, um, you know, the world we live in today. Uh, pieces of different books depicted certain things that that we're going to see in our evolution today. Uh, obviously, you know, I read all the classics, uh, American sci-fi author Asimov and the Foundation and, and everything else. Uh, also read uh, French authors like Barjavel, which was a very big influence because I started reading about his work. Um, and and um, they all, what I liked is that they all addressed some of the human issues uh, in different ways, of course, but uh, they addressed um, some of our moral uh, impediments in a way, vis-a-vis -vis technology and, and some of the things that uh, we probably are gonna fight against as well as some of the things that we're going to welcome more, um, simply because because of who we are as human beings, we don't like change. We do not like transformation. We resist it, and and sometimes uh, even if it is for uh, a good purpose, uh, we have a hard time adapting to it. Uh, as 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 human, it's easy to be comfortable in what we know it's not so easy to be comfortable with an unknown tomorrow. And, and that's part of what um, I think some of those books were great at, you know, the conflicts, the betrayal, the, the difficulties, the changes in, in, in abilities. We will increase our abilities as we depend more and more on AI uh, in many different ways. So switching gears, any message for our listeners, the younger generation, with the younger generation, you don't know it all. And well, even us, <laughs> we don't know it all, which means that, again, uh, remain open. For the older generation, which I think is probably the most stressful time in their lives, I want to say, look, there is hope. There is changes that will be coming that will make our lives easier. We just have to be a bit patient. And unfortunately, no, it's not going to be perfect. And no, we can't go back to where we were. But um, 
I think that there will be a time, hopefully soon, where we can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. So stay strong. In your experience, and as you look at the future, and as you write and uh, you foresee 2098, what are some of the good things? We've got to look at the positive side. What are some of the good things that are going to come out of COVID-19? Okay, I would say better healthcare system. Uh, that's the thing that I would see happening because of the situation that we faced. There's going to be some things that we're going to have to do in order to do better. And we are capable of doing better. And so from that standpoint, I, I see uh, better healthcare, better lifestyle, um, the ability to do more things because we don't have to take care of little things because AI will take care of those little things for us. So we're going to have maybe more time, more time to learn, more time to enjoy ourselves, more time to be with our families, more time to do some of the things that we are struggling to maintain today because we have to multitask so much. An improved quality of life. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important. It was great having you on the podcast. Thank you for Thank you having me. I really appreciated that and I've really enjoyed talking with both of you. Again. Thank, Thank you. you so Thank you so much. Take care. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.